Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the program. Tonight, my very special guest is Freddie Niagara Fonseca. He's a Renaissance man, a poet, an author, a dramatic reader, just to name a few. South American by origin, he has written two poetry books. In 2010, he published a poetry anthology, This Enduring Gift of Flowering of Fairfield Poetry. And in 2020, he published The Bomb That Blew Up God and other serious poems featuring his own work. Freddie, welcome to the program. Thank you. All right. Let's let's start this poetic journey. Freddie, what is poetry? Well, I'll give you a shorter answer than you may be expecting. Poetry is not prose. That's it. But we can, of course, uh, talk about it. Would it be enough for now? Well, we're going to need to do more than that. Um, Okay. All right. I got it. it Okay. What does it mean to you in your heart? What does poetry mean to you in your heart? You've been writing a while. What does it mean to you? Well, it means um, communicating, of course, with uh, my audience, communicating with myself, and mm-hmm. communicating with the poem. Uh, okay. Tell me about communicating with the poem. What does Talk about that. I want to know more. Okay. Still, everyone wants to, of course, re, uh, write at least one poem that is so good that it will be remembered for the rest of, of time. So that's the communication with the poem. So you want to make it as good as possible and as accessible to as many people on the planet as possible. And it must be just plain terribly good. Okay. So why do you think poetry then is important? It is important in many, many ways. Okay, if you have, a, if you have good ideas and you write well, then you obviously, you will reach people. And uh, the ideas that you have and that uh, whatever comes out of that, when it reaches people, it reaches them in a way that may change or affect their lives. Okay, that's one thing. Yes. And on the other hand, it is also part of the, uh, the journey of the, the creator, the poet. So, Every time a, a poet sits down and, and writes something, he digs deep into his heart, into his past, or into his future. But if he, if he, if he works on that same poem maybe a, a year later or two years later, it might be totally different. Uh, for reasons, well, we, we change. Uh, I yes. guess in most cases we evolve. Hopefully. Very much so. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'd like you to share with me an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power. I think that uh, came right when I started writing poetry. I, I noticed that um, 
it certainly changed me. Uh, I started understanding what melody and um, rhythm and proportion and ideas are flow- that are flowing out of me for some reason, what they are. And when I started sharing with people, you know, sometimes people would tell me, well, this could be better. Oh, that is really good, and so on. And so I learned. What age were you? When you Actually, had was quite poetic awareness. Everybody okay. else was already famous at that age, but I was, okay. I was already 29. All right. <laughs> All right. Okay. So you felt there was something inside that needed to come out poetically. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Mm. I was in Rome uh, visiting. Uh, actually, I was living there, and a friend of mine okay. from, New, from New York was visiting, and we went into one of those beautiful parks in, in Rome, the Borghese Park, and uh, there was a statue of Lord Byron. Uh, so we went there, and there was a, a plaque, you know, and on it a, a few lines from one of his uh, uh, famous poems, and I read it, and the next day I started writing poetry. Just like that. Just like that. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So when you think about your work, what are some of the predominant themes? What do you write about? Uh, Well, I write about cycles. So day and night, seasons, uh, death and life, and uh, change. And those those cycles can be put in any poem or any poem mm-hmm. can derive uh, something from there. And I've noticed that I pretty much write in, in those cycles most of the time. Mm-hmm. So a poem right. may start uh, at the ni- in, in the night. Mm-hmm. I mean, the poem, the, the subject may start in the night and then daylight comes and the progression of the day and then we go again in the night and then we actually get changed in that that trajectory please share a poem the language of trees i asked the trees one summer what they had been thinking of all year They wouldn't say, but then I heard them wave and whisper of the ages, seasons, years and months and days, and countless hours of abundant happiness. I like the tales they tell me. Autumn makes them talk of leaving all, and yet they stay. And as they drop their leaves, they muse for weeks on April, thrushes, Stars and lingering Indian summers, rain and latent loneliness. Their voice is low in winter. Snow and icy winds are on their minds and they withdraw. But in their winter dream, you hear how branches sing and think of dawn, the sun in distant countries, warmth and summer peacefulness. How grand they are each season. Often have I seen them stand like kings. A certain awe surrounds their splendid forms. And so they wait for spring, for flowers, verdant prairies, butterflies in May, and simple loveliness. 
And then they speak of lovers. Certain colors spread their message fast. And every year their many stories bloom and brighten noble pages, poems, gorgeous music, heart and mind with endless youthfulness. And so we welcome summer. All day long they stand and think and dream. And all we hear is how they wave again and whisper of the ages, seasons, years and months and days and countless hours of unending happiness. Thank you. That was the language of trees. All right. <laughs> Let's talk about that piece. Tell me more about the construction of it. Not so much the mechanics or the, the technical piece, but just in terms of what were you thinking when you decided to write that particular piece? What was going through your mind? Oh, well, that's been a long time ago. Let me see if I can remember. It mm-hmm. started, obviously, but I asked the trees one summer what they had been thinking of our year. And I thought to myself, right. at the same time, oh, that's kind of interesting. All right. <laughs> what they were thinking of our year. And then the rest just, just came. And, uh, well, some, some trees are smarter than others, so she yeah, had to choose wisely. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, so it was quite funny. And, uh, you know, and it is divided in six stanzas, and when you look at it, it looks like a free verse, and it is. Yes. But there is some internal rhyme there. I don't know if you caught it. Mm-hmm. Did, did you? Yes, I was listening. Continue. Keep talking. Oh, so you did catch the, uh, the rhyme or not? Yes, I did. Oh, okay. Continue. Anyway, it mm-hmm. is kind of uh, almost like hidden. I, I love writing, writing rhyme when, when, you, when you don't expect it. Yes, so do I. So do I. Yeah. Very nice. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, what I'd like you to, to, to share with me, all great writers have great writing influences. Who are some of yours? And what makes them special or great in your eyes? I uh, you mean poets, right? Yeah, poets. Um, well, Byron was kind of my first uh, inspiration because it, I, I told you about that, uh, what, seeing that uh, statue of Byron in Rome. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but afterwards, my friend uh, that I was with visiting that park uh, advised me to read American poetry. And as you know, I'm, I've lived in Europe and American poetry was kind of distant for me. And so <clears throat> for the rest of my stay in Rome, which was about five or six months, I went to the American library in Rome every day and <laughs> read and read and read American poetry primarily. But mm-hmm. I've also read a lot of stuff in, in, in other languages. And, you know, so uh, all the, the, the guys like Frost, Sandberg, uh, Masters, uh, uh, Eleanor Wheelie, uh, all of those, those those famous poets. I read them, and I could go on for for, for hours talking about how, how much they mean to me. But mm-hmm. I, of that time, I probably read almost everyone. I haven't read much of what's going on to, today, but uh, and and that time there were people that were really were really standing out. 
And um, yeah, that's where I got my inspiration from. And then also from uh, reading other languages. I've read in Dutch, in German, in French, and Italian. And uh, some good poets there, I'll tell you. Mm, all right. You know, when we started this program, I asked you, what is poetry? And what did you say? It's not prose. All right. <laughs> poetry has a reputation for being less accessible than prose. Do you agree with that? Uh, you it, has, that it has that, but that's what I'm hoping to change. Okay, tell me. Tell me more. Talk to me. By making it not only accessible, but pleasurable to listen to and and then uh, getting easy access to its to its inner meaning. You know, if if you get a, a line or two and they start and they start with something boring or a boring statement, then you already uh, have lost your audience. So a good first line is of course always good, but then the progression of the poem needs to be in sync with that. And you end of course with a killer line at the end, but that mm-hmm. also is in sync with it. And that is, uh, I think, that's the art of poetry. And uh, yeah. So, so how hard then should you work to solve a poem? How hard? Yes. Well, it is not hard work. I mean, uh, the muse tells you what to do, and you you have to obey. Uh, and if not, then you you're not going to sleep. All right. Mm-hmm. I'm primarily speaking from the reader's perspective. How hard uh, do you think you should work to solve a poem? It's all accessibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said, uh, no, I didn't say that. I like uh, keep, to keep things as simple as possible. So as mm-hmm. few difficult words as possible. And I like to present the idea uh, early on and develop it as, as best as I can, of course, uh, without having them lose interest. Uh, but some poems that is more difficult than others, it depends really right. on, on the subject and how, how deep you want to delve. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think that in most cases, I'm, I'm doing fairly well with that. All right. Please hear another poem. Okay. So this is going to be an epic poem, but it is not long. It's in three parts. And the first part talks about the cold. And the second part talks about warmth, the tropics. And then there's a resolve in the, in the third, third part. Antarctica. Cold. Cold. Totally cold. Colder than Alaska or Siberia. Colder than the North Pole. Cold like my former soul you are. O-H, old Antarctica. Measureless and empty plains with silences as white and deep as death descended on me there, and frost besieged the air from rocks of ice around Antarctica. Dark and shapeless were the nights, while somewhere deep in space the Milky Way Rose beaming like the dawn, but never would the sun, and I withdrew behind Antarctica. Warm, warm, 
lovely warm, warmer than the Congo, Spain, or India, warmer than a bonfire has been my old desire for always green, tropical Trinidad. Riverbanks that stars arise, despite the vault of ice I once evoked around Antarctica, as I am reaching for my always green, tropical Trinidad. Oh, there is the warmth of old and newfound Trinidad. Royal are the palm trees, timeless and evening breeze. In always green, tropical Trinidad. Long ago, there was a time my heart was helpless in Antarctica. With blizzards all about, where life was but a shout across a, desol- a desolate Antarctica. Dim is the light on snowy nights when I remember old Antarctica. The cold is in my past because I've changed at last. And so have you, O cold Antarctica. Warm is the light on starry nights shining on my Trinidad. The warmth inside her lovely name has now become a joyful flame around my soul, my age-old Trinidad. But I was not born in Trinidad. I was born in Curaçao, which is nearby. Yes. (laughs) Who's the speaker? in that particular piece? Uh, well, I guess me. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Who are you speaking to? To Antarctica, to my soul, and to Trinidad. Right. Mm-hmm. The, my, the question will be, what is the purpose of that particular poem? What are you attempting to convey? I'm conveying that in the past, uh, I was a difficult person. For instance, okay. and uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> not you, point, not you. <laughs> and it's so hard to believe. <laughs> well, you know, it's the past. Huh? It's long ago. Oh, so you're and better now, okay? You're informed, okay? I guess I'm better now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. Continue. <laughs> so, does that satisfy you? Well, I mean, you're getting close. Continue. In terms of uh, you speaking to, in terms of an article, what? I'm speaking to a, myself. It's a wonderful poem. It's quite epic. Thank why you. Did you yeah, choose yeah. A, why did you choose an article of all places? I, I don't know. I, I was mm. living in a very cold house with an, uh, <laughs> a bunch of, of roommates, and it, it was a terrible stove. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, it would go out very often. And here in Iowa, it can be damn cold and one okay. time one time i was sitting in front of the fire and i said cold cold and then and then i started writing mm-hmm. uh, and then it was the metaphor for the soul but you know it was with just uh 
It started with Google. <laughs> and is then that... <laughs> when it, the transition to to uh, Trinidad came, that's how mm. uh, this is how it worked. Uh, mm. I made was I made a sea voyage when I was about ten years old, and mm-hmm. on the way back uh, from Europe to South America, the captain had said that we would uh, go to Trinidad and we could go and, and and walk around and then take off to our final destination, which was Suriname. Uh, in South America. And yes. for some reason, uh, it never happened. So I woke up and the, the ship was suddenly, you know, not moving. And in the, in the distance, there was Trinidad. And it was green, mysterious, inaccessible, far away. And that right. image has been with me to this very day. Mm. Wow. And... Uh, so, has a poem you've written ever humbled or frightened you? Uh, I don't think frightened, but humbled, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about the poem or the piece. Um, there are several. There's one that uh, is called uh, Giant Sequoia. It's another epic poem okay. in which I um, talk about it. Uh, talk with the, the tree, the, the, the species, mm-hmm. and it is a very, um, um, yeah, it's, um, it has a lot of depth, I would say. <laughs> would you be willing to share it tonight? I will read it. Okay, I'll turn a second. I appreciate it. So I used the Latin name of the of the the tree three times. Okay. Once at the be- once at the beginning, once in the middle, and at the end. Giant sequoia, a hymn. O sequoia dendron giganteum, oldest and grandest of beings, noblest of souls in the world. You've long been present in my timeless thoughts, and I'm hearing your higher silence waving over all. Heaven seems to be your foremost ideal. For ages have I seen you grow, largest of trees in the world. A tiny seed contained your kingly race, and deep in my breast, I feel your countless roots deep in my heart. Is there anywhere anyone like you? Prior to Buddha or Christ, your grandeur graced the world. And since you've entered the plane of the greats, your lofty span has linked the times of old to those of today. Generations have lived, passed, and returned. Who has not admired your crown? From your crest, you view the world. Straight and proud, but oh, so tender are you, my sequoia dendron giganteum, beloved being. Forests like yours are high cathedrals, Quietude among your groves is whole. 
born within that pristine world where sunbeams break through mist and early dawn, your days and age in bright surroundings, your nights are light. On the slopes of the Sierra Nevada, gather and rise my sequoias. Their being in my world is one of more than peace and harmony. With outstretched arms and lifted face, they live and live and live. Fires, nor floods, nor storms subdue them. They clutch the earth and touch the sky. Strongest of trees in the world. Though men tried hard once to destroy their kind, they want to be conquered. Where they dwell, they share their domain. As gigantic as their presence is, so immensely full and high is their love for all in the world. Oh, when the wind is wafting over you, your voice is carried around the listening globe. Oh, my sequoia, indestructible giant sequoia, visible token of goodness, compassion, and care for the world. Deep in my heart, I am being moved today. For I've been hearing your whisper of greatness, wisdom, and truth. O sequoia dendron giganteum, noblest and fondest of beings, your soul is loved in the world. And in my life, you will always grow higher. For I am hearing your soaring divinity uplifting the best in us all. Those are the giant sequoias. Thank you. Oh, wow. That is an epic piece. (laughs) So if I asked you to share with me the central idea or theme of that particular piece in a singular sentence... What would you say? Yeah, let's see. Uh, It's a discovery of who we are as human beings Mm -hmm. and our relationship to the Almighty. Mm -hmm. I want to sit with that for a second before we move on. Okay. Mm -hmm. Does spirituality play a major role in your work? Uh, yes, but I'm also very, uh, I suppose, grounded. I, I write about very domestic things, too. All right. You, yeah, so there is a chapter in my book. It's all about music and dances, and uh, especially the South American ones are pretty racy and fun. All right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, so you know this kind of a balance, I suppose. Uh, so who should purchase your book, a saint or a sinner? Well, 
Depends on the, depends on the day. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. The yeah. time of the day. I don't know. <laughs> well, we're going to take a quick break, but here's something I'd like you to answer when we return. This is the question. Mm-hmm. Is a poem letting your guard down or building a wall? Okay. Mm-hmm. back. I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm here with Freddie Niagara Fonseca. I asked you a question prior to the brief, brief break. Is a poem letting your guard down or building a wall? What do you think? Letting my guard down. Tell me more. Well, I feel that in a poem, mm-hmm. I go as deep as possible and you know and there might be all kinds of secrets and things that you don't want people to know but i always go for uh well i may not want to tell them everything but i open my heart and delve into that and i hope that it reaches you and that it is good for you mm-hmm. freddie does it hurt you to write poetry if not why not um, no, I don't think it hurts me. Uh, why not? Um, hmm. Oh, it's an interesting question. Do you have more such questions? <laughs> uh, well, may, may, maybe, maybe that, that it hurts me and, and I don't know, but, uh, uh, well, how, does, how, when you write, how does poetry make you feel? Uh, oh, it, 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 it's a, well, it's a, very dis- difficult to describe, but I feel an elation when a first line comes. And, really? you know, yeah, yeah, nearly always. And sometimes when it goes into direction, I think, no, that is not very evolutionary or that is not this and that. I don't want to go there. Then I don't do it. <laughs> I may uh, pick it up later and change mm-hmm. it. But um, I think most of my work is uplifting, and that's what I'd like uh, people to feel, that, that, they, that there is hope, uh, All right. uh, even right. though there is a lot of fear. So with the, when you write a piece, mm-hmm. you lead the piece where you want it to go, opposed to the piece leading you where it wants to go. And it's uh, almost a combination of both. Okay. It, okay. It, it really leads me. And mm-hmm. I 
somehow my discernment or, or the, um, my, my, my judgment may sometimes say, well, this is not the kind of poem that I want to write. And then, and I don't do it. So I, I make I make a clear choice. Freddie, do you think poems change color in certain lights? Poems change what? Color. Um, I'm not sure what you mean. Do I see them? See the colors, or do you see the colors? Do you sense the colors around your poems when you write them? Uh, no, no, I'm not that far advanced. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't see them. I, think, I, I, I think hear, <laughs> I I hear of course, things, <laughs> but uh, I cannot say that I see, see colors. Uh, maybe they're there and uh, I still have a blind spot. Who knows? <laughs> but if your poetry is uplifting and I'm going to say inspirational, wouldn't your poetry Illuminate with light. Uh, yeah, I, I would think so. Uh, my first, <laughs> my, my first chapter is actually all about light in many, many. Is it really? Wow. Yeah, Antarctica is actually in the first chapter. Okay. And, okay. Uh, there's some cool poems in there. Which, uh, all right. <laughs> you all want right. to go there or not? You, well, you've actually, got to hear at least one of my dances. I mean. <laughs> Actually, I was I was going to change the focus to talk about the bomb that blew up God and other serious poems. Tell me about the creation of that particular book. What inspired? You? Okay, so in the meantime, I changed the subtitle. So mm-hmm. now the, the the book is named "The Bomb That Blew Up God and Other Whimsical Mystical Poems. Okay. So the first edition was serious poems, and a lot of them are very serious, but Mm -hmm. uh, very often in serious poems, I come up with something whimsical, and it Mm -hmm. kind of goes back and forth. So Mm -hmm. after a year or two, I felt I I need to have a better subtitle, and so then whimsical and mystical came up, uh, because that characterized characterizes my poem probably best and mm-hmm. so yeah and did I miss a question or not? <laughs> well I wanted you to share with me what inspired it oh um, well it was it's a very conversational poem and okay. it's actually about the the struggle between good and evil and mm-hmm. everybody knows about that, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, so the first line, I'm not sure if I'm going to read the whole thing, but it was, okay. started with the devil. Well, I was talking to God. Mm-hmm. And he, he wanted to have more bombs. And God says no. So, and then it goes from there. And it has kind of a, a surprising ending, which uh, okay. you, you will have to read that in the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, also a, I'm also a salesman, you know. I, okay. uh, I see, I, I can tell. <laughs> because the title of the book is quite provocative. It is, yeah, yeah. And I, I've noticed that. I mean, some people were totally turned off. But I always tell them, I mean, if they want to listen to me, it is a fable, which it is. It's kind of a modern fable and uh, with some humor in it. Some people love it. People say, oh, my mm-hmm. God, this is a great title. <laughs> Other people 
they kind of uh, uh, don't like it at all. So I'm kind of in between. Yeah. So. All right. Well, but it, it, as I said, the the ending is quite surprising, and then you actually see that it is. It's it's about the age-old question between good and evil. Okay. Which is something that everybody uh, will have to answer to at some point. Mm. <clears throat> so where does your poetic doubt begin and end? My doubt? Well, sometimes... Um, uh, so I'm not a person who writes a lot, you know, like every okay. day or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes I don't write a thing for months. I want them. I didn't write for seven years. But then <laughs> after that, I wrote a lot. <laughs> uh, so I write in spells. And there is a certain doubt in me that I can pull off a poem. I mean, it mm-hmm. starts always in a way that I think, uh, yeah, oh, this might, might be a good subject, a good beginning. Uh, and then at some point, uh, I come to a point that they come, like, this is not going anywhere. I mean, this it, it, is horrible what I'm writing. This is not good. That is not good. So then I let it rest for a while. And at some, at some point, and I see, yeah, oh, oh, that's what I need to do or this mm-hmm. and so on. Uh, but there is no doubt. Yeah, I have that. And um, I wonder if it is because English is not my first language. Yes. That mm-hmm. is one thing. <clears throat> and, uh, or maybe it is part of my, my past that, you know, God knows what. Uh, right. So, yeah, I have doubts. I'm not, uh, I'm not perfect. <laughs> Please share another piece. Share another okay. piece. So let's do the tango. <clears throat> tango in Buenos Aires. A touch of Argentina. Ah, sweeping dresses, blinking eyes, supple rhythmical steps, and quite unexpected turns. A lot of space. And there's the tango on a hot tropical night in a sultry ballroom in steamy Buenos Aires. The blood is even hotter. Huh. Deftly the dancers glide on a saucy rhythmical tune, glancing at one another again and again while humming tangos on hot tropical nights where the moon sees everything in steamy uh, Buenos Aires. Some of the lovers even sneak into the gardens before a tango is over. The rhythm goes on, yet... The moon will keep silent. Ah, but that's how tangles are danced on hot tropical nights in the shadowy gardens of steamy, salty, sultry Buenos Aires. That was my trip to Buenos Aires. You've, you've, <laughs> you've traveled the world, it seems. Uh, yeah, I traveled in South America, but a little bit. Mostly in Europe, actually. Okay. And here in the United States, I've been to many states. But in, mm-hmm. in Europe, I've seen at least half of all the countries that, that are there, or a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so, as a traveler, has your poetry changed at all, based on your experiences being in other places? 
yes. I one time I counted the many countries and towns that are in my in my book. Mm-hmm. And it is an astonishing number. I forget what the number is, but it's a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I situate, for instance, last poem was obviously situated in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Antarctica was situated in Antarctica and Trinidad. And uh, the giant sequoia was situated in Nevada and so on and so on. So mm-hmm. in many poems, there is a sense of place. And sometimes okay. in, a, in a one poem, more than one place, depending on on the arc of the poem or what is going on. Yeah, so mm-hmm. uh, many places in the poems I've been at or countries, there's also places that I've not been to. For instance, I've not been to Antarctica. I'm not going to mm-hmm. be to that. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but then, you know, then somehow a, a poem comes up uh, with a certain theme and it's certain locale. And then, uh, yeah, my muse, my muse says, go ahead and uh, <laughs> go for it, you know, mm-hmm. and then by being several places. You know, so much is happening in our world today. Mm-hmm. There's a good, the bad, the ugly, as well as the indifferent. Freddie, what do you view as being the role of a poet in modern day society? Um... Well, um, I kind of had been thinking of this question often. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, what I want to say now is that, okay, there is this sense, especially in in poetic circles, that, oh, we're going to change the world with our poems. Mm -hmm. But... uh, at this point, the world is in a terrible state, and all those yes, 10,000 of poets haven't changed a thing. Mm-hmm. So you think by yourself, well, whatever we write, things don't change, really. I mean, uh, people are waging wars, doing this and that. The two mm-hmm. political parties are at, at, at their throats, uh, each other's throat all the time. What can mm-hmm. a poet do? Well, a poet can point at the goodness, that's one thing, and accept what is going on in the world and hope that change will come. But, Mm. well, yeah, it's an unending question. Mm. But we should be careful not to think too much of ourselves. Oh, yes, we are poets and, and we know it all and, and our words can change the world because I think that's, that's actually pure arrogance. Mm. And, um, but uh, my hope is that if you bring something substantial, and as I said, the goodness, that ultimately changes people. But it may take a while. Mm. So you don't believe in the power of poetry? I do. Uh, but I, I would say... <laughs> You're realistic. You not, huh? <laughs> You're realistic. Uh, yeah, I'm in realistic. In terms of what it can yeah, do. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. When you think about a poem, let's imagine for a moment that a poem is like a cake. All right? 
A cake, you said? Yes, a cake that needs to be baked. Okay. What are some mm-hmm. of the what are some of the prevalent ingredients that go into the concoction we call a poem? Okay. Uh musicality, mm-hmm. tone, um a sense of proportion, and uh, the sense of direction and an ability to complete something and not to uh, go on to paths that are uh, actually don't have much to do with the poems. For okay. instance, uh, nowadays, or maybe, well, I don't know when it started, but a lot of poem, poets use the word like. And they compare mm-hmm. something to something. And often it has nothing to do with the arc or the, the, the storyline of the poem. Mm-hmm. And I find it distracting. If you liken something that is part of the poem itself, then it then stays in sync. Uh, so I try to avoid those things. Um, um, yeah, as I said, a sense of proportion and... and mm-hmm. um, Oh, uh, I can't think of the word now. Um, heart. Okay. Heart. Okay. Please share with me the titles of five poems in your book. Five poems? Just, yes, five, five just the titles. Poems. Yes, okay. just the titles, yes. Yes. Uh, okay, there is Almost Summer is a poem. Mm-hmm. The Chimes of the Clock at the Courthouse is another. Crossing a Bridge During a Tidal Wave. <laughs> On a Medieval Painting of the Fall of Man. Oh, wow. My Creole Bell, a Cakewalk. <laughs> Since you were talking about cakes, I thought yeah. maybe, maybe it's going to let me read this one. <laughs> hey, I like you. So you want to? my yes. After I ask this question, okay. my question is, what should you consider when you titling a poem? Uh, what should I consider when I what? Sorry. When you titling a poem? Oh, it's what title. goes into title? Yeah, the title. What goes into creating the title for you? Um, well, I want to convey, of course, the essence of the poem, and okay. usually I find the title very quickly and sometimes yeah sometimes I have changed titles after a while make them maybe make them shorter or something Mm -hmm. like that Mm -hmm. so the title comes first or the poem comes first um the poem comes first I I Mm -hmm. need I don't think I'd ever have the title first Mm-hmm. So in Antarctica, I wasn't thinking of the Antarctica. It was so cold in the house. I could only think of the cold. So mm-hmm. when I started writing, and mm-hmm. since every stanza in the poem, or, or most of the stanzas, end with the word Antarctica, which is like a rhyme almost, and the others uh, end with Trinidad, to me it was clear that it would be Antarctica. I could have called it Antarctica and Trinidad, but then what does that mean? Huh? So, so, so you're saying that every poem either ends with Antarctica or Trinidad? No, 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 no. Uh, the, the every stanza in the poem Antarctica 
Oh, and okay. With the word <laughs> Antarctica. No, no. All right. No. I, I, sorry, I sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What other authors, Freddie, are you friends with? And how do they help you become a better writer? Mm, you mean contemporary? Yes, it could be. Um, authors that you're, friend, that you're personally friends with. Mm, well, um, there's a few people here in my town. Actually, I wrote, uh, I put together an anthology of 700 pages of something like 76 poets that uh, live here in the town, which is kind of unusual. It's a 10,000 people town. And uh, so at some point I thought, wait a minute, uh, there's so many poets here and I know many of them. And I want to all bring them together in my heart. Uh, mm. Because some of them write really good, good poems. Mm. Um, well, my, most of my friends are actually the, the ones in the past. Okay. Yeah. okay. So I, I, I've, I've learned from... Uh, from reading, as I said, I've, I've, I'm sure I've read more than 20,000 poems in, in oh, wow. five, five languages. <laughs> and all, all those, those poets, or the, the, the really good ones, they, they were my teachers. I have not mm-hmm. do anything like MBA or anything. Didn't mm-hmm. study literature. Uh, I learned from reading. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that, that uh, there's some rub off of, of some of the poets that that uh, came up in my, in my in my writings. You know, Zoom has changed the poetic world. Yeah. What do you think about Zoom? My question is: Do you believe the or think that the internet and social media contribute to the well-being of poetry? Uh, yeah. Why not? Um, look, um, I don't know how it was before COVID. But obviously, COVID has, has uh, driven people uh, uh, and uh, they have to stay at home. So mm-hmm. then people started thinking, well, we're going to do an open mic anymore. Are we going to go here or there? Well, let's do something on the Internet mm-hmm. and see how it has been flourishing. I mean, there are, there are Zoom groups everywhere all over the world. Yes. Yes. And that has, in a way, uh, opened the door to to cross cultural uh, connections. I think yes. it's great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I was thinking, just listening to you talk and listening to your work. I know my question about whether poetry changes colors and certain lights were seen. Well, I don't know what how it seemed to you, but your your poems do change. For me, just listening to you, they do change colors and certain lights because you talk about good and evil that could be you know dark and light and those kinds of things and Mm -hmm. good and bad i mean it's just to me your poems flicker Mm. oh that's interesting (laughs) well Have have you ever heard that before no, I never heard of it before. But uh, I have to tell you, uh, the, the new cover that I made for, the, mm-hmm. for my book, as as uh, I don't know if you, yeah, you have seen it, of course. You, you yes. see all those stars on there? Yes, yes. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that's maybe the flickering that, that you're talking about. See? Uh, yeah, yeah. See, that's why they pay me the big bucks. You see, yeah. that's why they pay me. 
Oh, they that's fuck Freddie. <laughs> I listen to people. <laughs> yeah, you do. You know, <laughs> we've reached my favorite part of the program now. What have is that? A, it has been a mini poetry concert. This is where you have an opportunity to share two or three of your poems without interruption from me. No questions. Back to back. Just your poems. All right? Freddie, you you're on the stage. Yeah. You're on the yeah, stage. I have the stage. Okay. Well, I have a kind of a, yeah, of course. I mean, oh, wait a second. Uh, since you're talking about the power of poetry, let's do the vulca- volcanoes about people who think they will change the world. <laughs> of course, I want to change the world, too. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this, this volcano, it's about, well, you will hear. Volcanoes. <clears throat> Erupt. They will, like Krakatoa exploded over Indonesia and Mount Vesuvius blasted away Pompeii. Cracked open wide, volcanoes speak with fury, lava, smoke, exposing explosive truths, dishonest debris. Eruptions launch more Earthquakes, tsunamis, revelations, affirming an urgent seismic shift in us all. The earth will burn, Vulcan, the god of volcanoes, roars, and seething blood will boil for days and nights on end. The world will change, young Bolsheviks, blacks, and French revolutionaries chant, their jawbones groaning aloud in multiple tongues. Long-held secrets will soon be ripped to shreds in the streets, the halls of power and hideouts of tyrants. Our Earth Mother fiercely rises with seers, artists, and icons like Gandhi, King, Mandela, forging ahead. Erupt will all, as hell-bent workers, scientists, students, multitudes, continents, and worlds of rage most certainly will. The truth will out, the elders cry, raising the soul of the land. And mankind, battered and shaken, finally listens. Okay, so what shall I do? So you can tell I have not prepared this at all. I just, <laughs> I just go by what comes what, what to mind. Hey, in the, Fireworks. <laughs> quiet, quiet. Fireworks. <laughs> 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 We're gonna have a joke after this is over. <laughs> <laughs> okay, can, can I make my point now? Yes, oh, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry. It's, it's a very short, yes. very short poem. Fireworks. Okay. <laughs> Pow! Kaboom! Fizz! Yellow! Pink! Green! Ah! And behind all that emotion, endless 
eternities of stars. That was a short one. Mm -hmm. Okay, what else are we doing? Oh, okay, let's do this. Arriving at Twin Peaks for an exceptionally bright night view on San Francisco. What a sea of light all across town tonight, overwhelming me with more than awe. What a sea of stars all over that dark, yet cannily bright night sky, more than I ever saw. It seems the city unwittingly mirrors the night as much with lights below as above. The stars just take your breath away, but so does all of this blazing vista of San Francisco. There, the sea, so scintillating in the bay. The city, intensely glistening far and wide. This brisk breeze blowing through my body. This twin presence of celestial and terrestrial light. It's all overpowering, almost too much. These days, the more I get to think of how many ambiguities still are lurking inside me that I don't yet dare to face, the more something seems to want me at some far-off plateau of total light. I'm yet to see some unknown time. Not that I need to give up the rapture of these glorious moments on arriving at the peak of this breathless experience. I'm being pulled into it head to toe and almost wanting the world to forever set this dazzling view, fantastically vibrating through the night. It pulsates with myriad glimmerings of so much life pouring out of that double blaze of nocturnal light, unifying all. And all night long, an immense something brightly engulfs the bay, the city, the peaks, unutterably grand and darkly haunting. Strange, this vast oceanic wind washing headlong over me, I could step into now. I almost did. You You truly are a dramatic reader. (laughs) <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> yeah, you I love well? I love reading as almost as tell. much as writing. <laughs> so my question is, what is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice? Um, well, I always wanted to become an opera singer, and <laughs> okay. I had lessons for many, many years, and <laughs> I had lessons in Italy, in the Netherlands, and here in the United States. 
Mm-hmm. And so that was one of my first wishes in the, in the artistic field. I also, also wanted to become a painter. And I painted actually for a while. And I wanted to become a dancer, modern dance. And but then the muse said, no, you're going to be a poet. So at some mm-hmm. point I, I became a poet. And uh, <laughs> what was the question again? No, that, that answer is, I'd like to oh. know whether you feel as if you were meant to be a poet. I think so, yeah. yeah, yeah. Tell I've me been why. a writer for 50 years. Wow. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it is just, uh, I always have had a love for words and what, mm-hmm. they can, what they can convey if you group them in a way that makes it interesting. <laughs> yes. And well, uh, so I've cultivated that as much as I could. What surprises you most about being a poet? Say that again, the what? What surprises you most about being a poet? What surprises Oh, surprises. You? Yes, I'm sorry. Uh, yes, surprises. You've been my poetry or in general? Well, just in general. Um, well, how, yeah. <sighs> How beautiful it can be, and okay. how, how much uh, uh, it can, especially if it is unexpected. You know, sometimes a poem can, can go in a certain direction, and you almost know how it's going to be ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's also poems that begin in a certain way, and you have no idea how it's going to end. Actually, sometimes mm-hmm. it's really surprising. Yes, and uh, I, I kind of gravitate to, for instance, for myself, to writing those kind of poems. But mm-hmm. still, I don't have a say in it, and mm-hmm. um, and I like to hear it in other people's too. Also, yeah. it, there's a, a sense of discovery in it, a discovery, of course, of your own journey and who you really are and what you think you would like to accomplish in this life, and so on and so on. Yeah. Mm. If you were asked to give your readers advice in terms of, list of, in terms of reading the book. You mean reading my book? Yes, reading your book. Uh, well, um, so what would you share with them? What would you share for, in terms of the bomb that blew up God? What advice would you give them prior to them reading it? Well, I would say look at the index. There are seven chapters, and the first one is called Shards of Light, and many of the poems are quite, you know, fairly spiritual, although they mm-hmm. are actually in, in all seven uh, uh, chapters. But there's just an emphasis on that in the first. And the second is all about dances, music, and magic, and that is just much more light, and uh, but still very meaningful. And then the chapter of the bomb that blew up God is all about conflict. Mm. And then I have uh, the next uh, chapter is vignettes, very small, short poems, but very poignant, very telling. Mm-hmm. And then there's a chapter about death and dying. All the poems mm-hmm. are about that aspect from multiple uh, uh, viewpoints. Mm-hmm. And then there is more some epic poems, and then it ends with all po- poems about uh, the natural world. So, so oceans. I'm sorry. Oceans. Okay, it is my show. Okay. 
No. Uh, yes, I'll have a conversation uh, with you. <laughs> look at the chapters and okay. see what, what, what appeals to you and start there instead of begin, begin at the beginning and then plow through to the end. Uh, and, uh, and actually, a lot of people that I've talked to who bought the book tell me just that, that that's what it is. And others say, well, oh, it's so interesting, I want to read all of them. So then they read Julie from beginning to end. Uh, and uh, there's surprises everywhere because I mix up things a lot. And um, yeah, I'd like to make things a little bit, uh, you know, out of the ordinary. I'm, I, can, I do not fit in the box, Michael. I don't. I can, I can tell. <laughs> so are you hoping this book resonates with a broad range of readers or are you attempting to target a specific audience? Uh, well, of course, I hope to, to reach a, a broad range of people, but uh, I, I'm, I'm certainly aware that not everybody is going to like my poems. <laughs> I, I have some very ardent followers, and if you read okay. the, the, uh, the reviews on Amazon... Yes, uh, I did, actually. Yes. Oh, you did? So, so, yes. They, 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 it's more than like, oh, this was a good book and uh, mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. No, they, they they dive into the mechanics of the book and have something to say. Mm-hmm. And um, so, uh, wow, well, I think I have a senior moment. Whoever was that? <laughs> it's okay. I have I have them all the time. <laughs> oh, yeah, all, the time. Okay. all the time. So we can talk about that. <laughs> yes, we can. Among yeah, other things. So, <laughs> so, so, in other words, you don't remember it either. <laughs> no. Okay. All right. Then. Well, would you be willing to favor us with one more poem? We're almost at the end of this poetic journey, and I'd like to hear one more. One more. Ah, okay. Books. I worked in a bookstore for a long time, almost yeah, a few decades, and I've, it was a second-hand bookstore. And so I would say that tens of thousands of books have gone through my hands, that they came mm-hmm. in and, and I knew where they were. And at some point, I thought, gee, I'm, I'm, I'm going to write a poem about books. And that's actually the, the, the few times that I had the uh, idea I want to write about something like this or that. Usually I don't know what is going to come. And I do not really like to, to, to do commissioning or work or something. But uh, in this case, it was different. Okay. <clears throat> it's okay. Books. Sometimes, when I think of the vast wisdom ever contained in books, countless scriptures of all creeds, scrolls and indecipherable languages, tomes of science, the great library of Alexandria destroyed by fire centuries ago, priceless knowledge gone, Thousands of books burned by the Third Reich. Books still held secret at the Vatican. Hieroglyphs in Egypt and whatever Atlantis may have contributed to the written word. Books simply lost and never found. 
others molded, fallen apart, discarded, and all the many books I'll never be able to read in a lifetime, even if I lived a thousand years. And when I think of all these while browsing at garage sales, used bookstores, oh, the good feel of an old book and the sense of care for books you surmise some previous owner had to see his or her name written on the title page, sometimes with a date of purchase or gift. Yes, then I tend to hold a book in my hands a little long sometimes, deliberating whether I'll buy, and I read again what's on the flap, scan a few more pages, look for a keen phrase here and there, ponder on the title, the design, the author's name, weighing it all in my hand. And page after page of long-forgotten lore, adventure, and myths slowly take shape, mingling with my own memory of myth in the back of my mind, passing through my skin, stealing into my bones, my heart, holding me spellbound for a lifetime, it seems. And somehow beneath my feet, the deeper caves and mysteries of the earth open wide, where I can glimpse that which I cannot name, but know that it exists. And I'm feeling strangely rooted and connected to all cultures, Beliefs, poetry, wars, romance, history, peace. And then I may take the book home. But as I'm standing here, lost in time for a while, some power is reclaiming everything I thought was lost, lost to man one time. And I see the great communicator of it all in all these many paragraphs, sentences, words, working their way with a purpose, meaning, and conviction across so many ages. And suddenly, it seems that everything is here now, and really never went away at all, as long as books have ever existed, and readers found them. And as I closed the book, walking out to get some fresh air, there's all the magic in the air as of old still. And I can live with that and be an open book to all. That was books. You know, poets write for a myriad of reasons. Some write primarily to speak a message to an audience. Others write because staying silent is not an option. Freddie, why do you write? Why do I write? 
Yes. Because I could not not write. Mm-hmm. I write for, uh, but as I said earlier, there's three, three, three elements. I write for the sake of the poem, to make mm-hmm. the perfect poem, or more mm-hmm. than one. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I write to share with audiences, and I write for myself. Okay. Mm. All three in one. All right. Where can we find the book? The book it is on Amazon, okay. and it is available in paperback, hardcover, there's an audio version, and there's Kindle. And right. I like people to go for the one with the very colorful uh, cover. That's the one that I recently made. Uh, I had two previous editions. And every time mm-hmm. that I made a new edition, I, of course, I was tinkering with, with the text. You know, I mm-hmm. changing a word here, there, or phrase, and so on. You know, poem, well, yeah, does it ever end? <laughs> Mm. Anyway, so this is my last incarnation, I mean the book, and uh, I hope that people will choose that one because that represents me, uh, I think, best. And, uh, you know, I've, yeah, it was a joy uh, reworking some things and others not and come up with a nice cover. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just go to Amazon and you'll find it. All right. How can listeners stay in touch with you? Uh, I have a website, fonseca-poems.org. And I have a lot of poems on there that you can look at. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, there's also a page where you can buy and it tells you exactly how. And I also sent you to Amazon on that one. All right. Uh, but, but, I, but I love uh, uh, signing books for people. So if people want a signed copy, then they will, of mm-hmm. course, have to come to me. Uh, and, uh, you know, so uh, <laughs> I know that you want one. Come on. <laughs> confess. Oh, confess. You're quite whimsical. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, so, but don't forget, what, I'm, mis- I'm mystical too. <laughs> always forget that one, that's the truth. So, <laughs> where do you go from here? What's next for you creatively, Freddie? Well, I have um, almost enough poems for, the, for my next book. I don't have a title yet. Uh, some of the poems are um, more mystical and than, than this one and others are again you know very pedestrian almost or let's say uh, domestic and uh, there are a few blockbusters in there they are, they are possessed like, uh, like almost epic in certain ways and right now I'm kind of waiting to top it off with a few more pillars you know sometimes you can say that a book rests on four or five pillars that, that, that uh, uh, you know, keep the, the building uh, upright. Yeah. Uh, and um, I have a few, but I, I think I need a few more. So I'm hoping that I can start thinking at least of, of, of uh, doing the groundwork for, for the next book towards the end of this year. But, you know, uh, that is, 
you never know that. Uh, but uh, yeah, I have some really fun poems in, in, in the next book too. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'd like to thank you for being my guest. <laughs> Oh, thank you, Michael, for having me. I, uh, it was quite a journey to get to this point. So, <laughs> okay. quite a journey. Mm, thank you. I don't know if it was a quest or an odyssey. I don't know what it was, but <laughs> but I leave feeling uplifted. I don't want to oh my God, that that that's, that warms my heart. Uh, yeah, it's a great I, I, thing. I literally, I do. There's a huge smile on my face, and I'm really glad that I had an opportunity to meet you, to talk to you, to listen Thank to you. Yes. Me too. So you live in D.C., right? <laughs> yes, I live in Washington, D.C., yes. Yeah, so we should meet one time. But, uh, yes. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. I've got to ask. Freddie Niagara Fonseca. The Niagara. Fonseca, Tell me about yeah. that. Yes. The Niagara? Yes. Okay, so Freddy is real my birth name. I'm not Frederick or anything. That's F-I-D-D-Y. And Niagara, actually, I adopted that name for two reasons. To make my name, uh, you know, it's a little bit exotic. But it Mm -hmm. primarily came about because of this. I had... Uh, written a poem about um, Niagara Falls and okay. the poem of me with my imaginary son visiting uh, uh, Niagara Falls for the first time. And, you know, you have heard about uh, it, Falls, you have seen it on TV, and so you know what it looks like. But when you get there, and actually I have to confess I have not been there, but I've mm-hmm. read about it and I read about the reactions of people. It is a world of sound there. I mean, it is so loud. It's unbelievable. <laughs> so I wrote a poem where you hear the water. You hear mm. the poem. You hear. It's really a sound poem. It's quite meaty, too. It, it takes a few minutes to, to, to write, to read. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I had introduced that with the book's poem and some others at an audience. And someone, after hearing the, the Niagara, Niagara Falls poem, uh, got up and, oh, this is better than the falls. He said, <laughs> what? So then I thought, well, I'm going to call myself Niagara. You know, that's how it all right. <laughs> Well, <laughs> all right. Thank you again. And Thank you, audience. Yes, and to the listening audience, as I share with you every time we're together, poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. Good night, Freddie. Good night, Michael. Thank you very much for having me. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at QLPOR.com